This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Europe, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This is the Rugby World Cup on the left wing. After a well-earned week off, Ireland are gearing up for their final World Cup pool match against Scotland in the Stade de France on Saturday night. A win or a draw will see Andy Farrell's men march on to the World Cup quarterfinal. A loss, and it starts to get a little bit complicated. So plenty to discuss on tonight's episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Saturday here with you. I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Jonathan Bradley. And thanks again for everyone who got in touch on Spotify, Twitter, with their questions and queries. We'll try to get to them during the show. But now, Luke... How are you feeling ahead of the Scotland game? As I said, well-earned week off. Connor uh, Murray and Peter Manny had a few glasses of rosé, chilled out, and they're now back at it, ready to go. Are you feeling confident? Um, no. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about it. I thought the, I was I was talking to another ex-international, uh, and we both had the same opinion, thinking, God, we wish that, that those photos hadn't surfaced of the guys having the rosé. Look, no problem with it. You know, they weren't, I'm sure they didn't overdo it. Um, but just not a great, not a great one to have up. I think if you were in Scotland's camp, I think that one might be mentioned. I think there's plenty of bulletin board material from Scotland to Ireland. No, there as well, is. But we're talking yeah. about just yeah. if you're asking about why I'm nervous. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, look, I, I, I did say this at the time. You know, I, I think the week off for Ireland has actually come at a perfect time. I think they get to go into camp on the Thursday. Um, you know, ten days is plenty before getting ready for uh, you know an international. And I think uh, they'll have you know. Got that intensity up early. I just wish that some of the some of the antics maybe after the South Africa game and then some of the um, some of the kind of photos like that that were looked like guys relaxing. They're supposed to do that on their, on, on their time off. I just wish they hadn't probably hadn't surfaced. That's the problem with social media nowadays, isn't it? Um, but as you said, look, Scotland seemed pretty confident um, as well. Um, I think they've probably. Uh, flatter to deceive, I think, on a number of occasions in this respect and probably talked themselves up in, in prior games and haven't delivered. Um, but yeah, look, of course you're going to be nervous in, in, in a game like this. Uh, I think Ireland, you know, to, to just be completely blunt and honest about it, Ireland are a better team than Scotland. And if Ireland play well, to I, I think Scotland are wrong. I think if they, I think if Ireland, if one of their players today came out and said that, you know, if they play well, they should win. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think there's more to it than that. If Scotland play well and Ireland play well, Ireland win this game for me, Will. And, and that's as simple as it is. And I think this Ireland time, team will have enough time to refocus, uh, get, you know, and, and, and get a good start to the game, which is going to be really key. I just think, you know, first 20 minutes of the game, set the tone, very, very physical. I think the advantage, the clear advantage we have over them is in our pack. Lay down a marker early at scrum, get the line out right, get the confidence up uh, and try and bully this Scotland team out of this game. And I think uh, that combined with a stingy defence, Ireland bring this one home. Yeah, it was replacement hooker Ewan Ashman who was very bullish in his uh, comments after uh, the win against Romania. And he wasn't the only one. Cameron Redpath, similar comments. Gregor Townsend actually talks them up as much as anyone. Jonathan, what's kind of, if I take a temperature check from you in terms of your thoughts heading into the weekend. You know, as Luke mentioned, like the down week came at a good time probably for Ireland. And even for, for us, kind of, we were kind of, 
the, the high of South Africa kind of went away. We, you know, I'm sure we all watched the various one-sided games over the weekend, and now we're kind of gearing up again for for one of the big weekends co- coming up. Uh, you know, how, how are you feeling about things? Yeah, there's absolutely no reason to be less confident than we were last week. Like, there's nothing that's changed to alter in any way the confidence going into this game. But I think it is just that realization that's coming in of the fact that as well as Ireland have played and as smoothly as everything has gone during this entire World Cup campaign, the fact that Ireland are just one defeat away against the fifth best side in the world from their World Cup being over on Saturday, I think that's quite a a sudden realisation for a lot of people. You know, it's just the way the fixtures have fallen. You talk about the down week, but I know Razzie has spoken about it in terms of uh, being in the more preferable position because they've got their games done, but I think, like as Luke says, you know, Ireland are the better side. We'll come to touch on it later, but I don't think we have any reason to believe that complacency is going to sneak in. And for those reasons, I think you have to be confident that this Ireland team that has consistently got the job done over the past two years will get the job done again. Yeah, I think any kind of semblance of complacency is blown away if I was an Ireland player. Like, just listening to the rubbish coming out of the Scotland camp, honestly, like, I would actually just be, like, astounded. And, you know, people might say, oh, you know, Ireland don't, you know, you guys don't give Scotland the respect they deserve. But I don't think there's a whole lot of respect coming out of the Scotland camp. They're playing the number one ranked team in the world, 16 wins in a row, Grand Slam champions, series winners in New Zealand, have beaten Scotland eight times in a row. And it's like, you know, the sub-hooker saying, oh, we get our process right, we win, and we go into the quarterfinals. I'm just like... What planet is this man living on? And if I was like Andy Farrell, I would be loving it because, you know, like what a way to kind of focus the minds and be like, these guys think they can just come in, play you, play their game, and then they're just marching on and you'll be going home. That's not like, that's that's just psychologically, I think, a good place for Ireland to be in, actually. Yeah, but the only thing is like, as as a as any athlete going into a game, I think you've got to believe that if you deliver on the game plan that you've, you know, that you've devised, that you should be able to come out victorious. It's, it's the, it's, you've got to think that way. Um, you know, and the people that never win, don't aren't able to do that. You have to be able to figure. You have to be able to envisage a way to get over the line. But and thinking so, it and saying it publicly, you know. Well, I think that's fine. Look, I I would always agree with you in that one. I always think you know it's better to be a little bit measured. But sometimes it just comes out raw, and sometimes you actually want to deliver a message. I'm not sure it's the right one. Um, you know, I think um, they did mention that all the pressure is on Ireland. I think Hamish Watson did come out and say that you know all the pressure is on Ireland, um, which which I do think it kind of is. And is it though? No, I think it is. Yeah, 100% it is. Like, I think, um, you know, the good thing for Ireland is that their destiny is in their own hands. Um, would love to touch on, on Rassi's comments, but maybe... Yeah, I'll we'll touch on a minute, but I just... Yeah, I, look, I think Ireland's destiny is in their own hands. I think if they play to their potential or somewhere close to it, I think they win this game. Um, Scotland, on the other hand, I didn't really take offence to any of that because I don't think they've delivered, but I think if you ha- if you're if you were going to deliver... And we're, I, I agree with you, they haven't done it to date. But if you are going to, to deliver it, you have to try and speak it into existence, at least internally. Not sure I agree, as you uh, have mentioned with doing it publicly, but sometimes that's a good way of doing it. It puts pressure back on you to perform and deliver on what you're saying behind closed doors because sometimes those things can just stay there, Will. So some people actually do that to kind of stir up a bit of pressure in their own camp to deliver. And they haven't done it historically or in recent history, um, but there's always, there has to be a first time, doesn't there? Yeah, and Jonathan. Well, like, you know, what are, what are they meant to say? Like, this sort of becomes a narrative every time they play Scotland. But, you know, Will, you'll have been in press conferences. I've been in press conferences where we're going in and we're asking, what do you think of your chances today? And, like, you never expect anybody to say, no, we're going to get beat or we always lose to them, but we'll give it a last. You know, I don't I don't really mind the confidence. Like A middle I, ground would be, because I, I, I get your point. People say, oh, should they be saying, oh, we haven't a chance. They've beaten St. Thomas and But No, a middle ground of being like, we're confident. We feel like if we play well, we can beat them. But just to show out something like, you know, we can beat any team in the world in our day when you've lost, you're have you 0 and 8 against Ireland under Gregor Townsend. You haven't beaten South Africa or New Zealand under Gregor Townsend. And then just for the hooker to say, like, if we play our game plan, we'll win. I just feel like there's a middle ground where you can kind of like be confident without being Tricky like. Tricky to be that nuanced. Though. Remember, like, not everyone there has got media training and not everyone there oh, they is. All got media no, they haven't. They all, that's not media training. Media training is properly understanding how you acknowledge bridge to it where you want to get to and control the narrative. That's really, really difficult to do for some people who are under pressure. Soap hooker for Scotland is not going to have had very in-depth 
um, you know, media training. I, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there. So look, some of these guys are going to say something blunt and something that maybe isn't, you know, perfectly nuanced. I, I, I honestly, there's, there's. Well, Gregor Townsend is constantly. Yeah, Gregor Townsend is, he's got to show some kind of belief too, like in, in his team. I think it hasn't worked for him in previous years. I agree. I think he's kind of a guy who has talked up his teams previously. Um, like you would much rather, uh, like a more balanced answer would be something like we have, t- you know, we obviously have a, like Ireland are a, an excellent team. They're number one ranked. We haven't got a good history, but there are areas where they have struggled and we will look to target them. And I think if we do that on enough occasions, we could come out, you know, on top in this game. We obviously believe we can do that internally, but it's a massive challenge. But like, you don't always have to say that. Yeah. And I think as a media person, like, you know, now that I'm a media person, quite like having something to discuss like that, a direct enough answer saying, yeah, we believe we can do it if we play well. It's pretty simple. But you know, you, it's it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same answer, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I, like you know, I'm not. It's not that Gregor Townsend is making like a Joe name. It's kind of well, I guarantee you'll win. You know, <laughs> this weekend or anything like that. I just find like when you haven't actually delivered on winning a Six Nations or getting close to winning a Six Nations, I just think it would he- be more helpful publicly to be a little more measured and a little more humble. I would say. And Jonathan, I want to ask you just. I'd push back on the notion that all oh, the pressures on Ireland. Like Finn Russell said the same reading quotes from him today. Like he basically said. We've nothing to lose this weekend. I find that a, a you do. You're going home. You're you going lose. home. <laughs> this is the best Scotland squad to go to World Cup since Gavin Hastings in the nineties. Like the idea that like it's a free shot and all the pressures on Ireland. Ireland can lose and still go into the quarterfinals. So the idea that like Scotland have nothing to lose, I, I find that I don't agree with that at all. I feel like the pressure, especially the way they've been talking, is is at least equal on both teams going into this weekend. I think there's huge pressure on Scotland, and I think the mental burden of this fixture will weigh a lot heavier on Scotland than it should do on Ireland. Like, I'd much rather be Gary Keegan this week than his counterpart in Scotland. Like, there's an awful lot of the narrative around this game has been, you know, oh, are Ireland going to get complacent? Like, we have no reason to believe that Ireland are going to get complacent in the sense that Ireland haven't got beaten by a side that they shouldn't have got beaten by since Wales and the Six Nations when O'Mahony had the red card. That was like two and a half years ago. Whereas Scotland have developed a sort of mental block around playing Ireland and that creates a huge amount of pressure. It's the same as, you know, whenever Ireland couldn't beat New Zealand for 111 years, like the pressure mounts during those games because if you're on the cusp of doing it, if you're on the cusp of doing something so substantial, which is getting to the quarterfinals of a World Cup and knocking off the number one side in the world to do it and beating a side that have this sort of hoodie over you, there's an amazing amount of pressure in the game. And I think that's much more likely to play a big part in this game than the idea that Ireland have got ahead of themselves and are looking beyond um, Scotland to a quarterfinal, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's an interesting debate. Just on the Rossi comments as well, like for people who are listening who haven't heard of me, he basically said he'd much rather, he was like, without being arrogant, I want to preface this by saying I, I'm not being arrogant here, but he basically said he, he'd rather be in South Africa's position now, you know, a two-week break to the quarterfinals, even though they might be knocked out if there's a you know mad kind of permutations come to pass and be in Ireland's position despite having beaten South Africa basically needing a result against Scotland to progress like what do you think about that that kind of notion I don't know what he's trying to do sometimes it's hard to 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 kind of figure out um but, you, you know my 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 issues around Rassi. Sometimes yeah. the the like I think he probably gets away with it because he's got such a strong player group. Um, just around some of the logic and the decision making. I think they were kind of are paying for some of those decisions that they made around the squad selection before the tournament, particularly against Ireland. There was some kind of bloopers there around the bench selection and, and you know some very very odd decisions uh, in you know key skill positions that cost them in the game. I think um, you know no no place kicker, no proven place kicker anyway, uh, and no uh, line out. You know, no second line out thrower option is, is, is madness you know so um, they could have won that game against Ireland uh, they didn't and then they didn't get the ball like they didn't put Tonga to the sword really um, you know needed was a 35 point win and didn't didn't get that ended up as a 31 I think so um, yeah I, I don't know what he's talking about to be honest I think they've left open a small gap having had a great start beating Scotland 18-3 um, they got off to, to a really good start and I think um you know, he's trying to throw in some kind of grenade there. I think it'll have no impact and people will just completely disregard it. I think he still sounds like he's an excellent coach, an excellent motivator, man manager, but um, I think his squad selections have have left a lot to be desired and I think he's nervous and that's what that is. I think he's actually nervous about the situation. He's left a small window where his team, a brilliant rugby team, um, that should be, you know, a real threat in this competition, might conceivably go out of the competition um, in the group stages. So I think he's nervous. Yeah, well, I think it's good to mean that, like, 
you'd rather be in South Africa's position than Ireland this weekend, which is that not true? Like, is it not more likely that Ireland go out this weekend than South Africa do, given that to knock South Africa out requires a very unlikely result? Like, it's more likely that Scotland beat Ireland by six points than it is that Scotland beat Ireland by 21 points and Ireland score four tries. Is it, is it not now? Not based on the, the, the recent history, I don't think. Um, you know, I, I think... Um, uh, you know, Ireland's record against Scotland is, is pretty good, you know. Um, I, I just feel like he's nervous about his own situation, I think. But personally. taking it at face value, like it's in basically the scenarios are, would you rather have an off week this week going into a quarterfinal, almost definitely going into a quarterfinal, or would you rather have a game that like Ireland do, which is borderline, you know, a must win for the most part. Like obviously there's permutations Ireland could go through. Would you rather have a must win game this weekend and then your quarterfinal the week afterwards or a week off? And then a quarterfinal. But they've got to go and sit and watch. And however inconceivable that that um, th- that is, it's completely out of, it's out of their control. So they could go out of this tournament like sitting on their couch at home. Um, you know, whereas like I'd rather be playing for my for. And remember, uh, you know, if things go go as planned and, you know, based on recent history, we're all expecting Ireland to go ahead and do this. Um, you know, then they have to go and play the world champs uh, in, in the quarterfinal. And oh, the, France in the World Cup. Sorry, yeah. uh, France. Sorry, not the world champs. Sorry, France, the home team in the, yeah. in, the, in, the, in the Rugby World Cup in the quarterfinal. A bloody tough task. It looks like DuPont is going to be back for that one too. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I, I think he's like, why even bother commenting on it? I suppose he's asked the question maybe, but um, to me, I'd be nervous sitting there. Um, even if it is an unlikely scenario. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that he's following only two Twitter accounts today, the Irish team and the Scottish team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if he manages at all, but whoever is managing it on his behalf, to be fair, he does a good job. What's his of, other one? What's his... Uh... Oh, what was it? Jacko? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember the name. Uh, his burner account his during the live stream. Oh, yeah, the name escapes me. Jack, uh, it was Jacko something or other player. Yeah, we can look a, that up afterwards. He's an eclectic man and he's a, he is very entertaining. It seems like a good bloke, but... Um, oh, I just kind of disregard everything he says in the media. He's kind of odd enough uh, yeah. in terms of those, uh, you know, responses and, and things. But on the kicking point, like Andre Pollard would look good off the tee against Tonga. To be fair, I didn't kick six from six. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be interested to see now if he starts them in the in the, in the quarter. Uh, he has to. Like I think their attack stuttered a little bit, but you'd expect that with someone coming in. And Libok is good at in fairness. He's a real threat himself, which does help. And you know, got great pace and footwork. But um, no, look, I think Pollard is the guy for them. I think he's stronger defensively as well. Um, and I expect them to get the attack up and running pretty quickly. You know, it's Pollard hasn't ha- has had so little rugby. Um, and look, the kicking off the tee, it just decides it straight away. If you're playing 10-man rugby, you know, with 6-2 splits in your bench, uh, you know, he's your guy to get you over the line. And he makes you stingier defensively, as I mentioned. So um, that's a good thing for them that he's back in. Um, you know, and I think the next injury, as I said, is going to be an- another hooker coming out. And I think they're probably... But so they already much. brought in Am, you know, they could have potentially brought in a hooker after Mipimpi got injured. But yeah, but Am is special, you know, I think, um, you know, but I-, I think it's got to be a hooker next, you know, and I think that probably might sort out their problems. Issue for them is it might be too late um, against, you know, having to have play France, which is probably the most likely scenario. Yeah, bringing in Am, I'm kind of like, he's an unbelievable player, obviously. But, but he's it, a world player. He was, he was uh, in the top six of the world. Hasn't played though since, you know. I, uh, he's special. And, they, and I, I think that, like, if you think about what's at 13 currently, it's a stopgap for him, you know. It's yeah. someone who doesn't play there all the time as well, really, you know. Yeah. Um, so a pure 13 makes a big difference for you. And to be fair, the last time he played was the same weekend of Jack Conan's last game. So, like, that, it's his first appearance in the World Cup coming up as well. So, like, if, if it's good enough to have Jack Conan there I don't see why Am can't yeah, you know, I agree, especially yeah. slot back in as well Jonathan in terms of the Ireland or Scotland game you know anything jumping out to you in terms of selection I know we discussed it a little bit last week in terms of potential changes myself and Luke were just chatting about it off air before we came on as well about who might come in who are you expecting to come in if anyone uh, into the starting team or in, onto the bench well it's probably just in terms of what we talked about to open of the closer this game gets and the I suppose more you reckon with the possibility that Ireland's World Cup could end this weekend I'm probably less inclined to make changes than I probably was this time last week whenever we were talking. But I think Ireland are coming at it from a huge position of strength because if you look at the players that they could bring in, you know, Henshaw, Conan, Murray, Henderson, I wouldn't expect to see all of those guys plus Sheehan as well. You know, those are five players that you can bring in a combination of without weakening the team. Like, I don't think there's an awful lot of teams in this competition that have that luxury of being able to make those changes without significantly weakening your team in any position. I think we need to see Sheehan and we need to see Conan because they're going to be big parts of the knockout stages for Ireland should they get there. And we haven't seen enough rugby from them. I think you can 
possibly put Henderson and Henshaw into that mix as well. Guys that just haven't haven't either had a lot of minutes or haven't had minutes against the quality of opposition that they're going to need going into a quarterfinal, semifinal, or a final. But I think you're probably talking about maybe two of those five coming in, possibly. And as I say, you're able to do that without Wigan in your team, and it should still more than be enough against Scotland. Yeah, we were talking about the hooker uh, kind of selection issue, or not issue, in you know, the kind of decision off area. Like in, you were saying, you would, you would probably stick with Callagher. I was saying I'd bring in Sheehan because he hasn't played much rugby. What's your thought process around sticking with Callagher, given that, as Jonathan mentioned, Sheehan will be a huge part of any knockout campaign? Yeah, look, I suppose I just thought that um, I think it's safer with Sheehan's injury maybe to give him 30 minutes and I'd love to see Kelleher just given a chance to settle the throwing down and have a, have a good 50 minutes or 45 minutes uh, you know, of throwing. Um, I think that positions you really well for, for later in the competition as well. I think it's harder for him if he has to come in under pressure to deliver on the throwing again and he'd be nervous doing that whereas I think he, he has a chance to have one or two bad ones and get it right for for 30 minutes, if you get me, like have five or six ones after that where he goes, okay, we've got the timing down, we fixed that issue, we're good. We know Sheehan's come in and been excellent at the line-out, so we know, I think, that he's in a good place with his throwing. Um, and I just think, as I said, the injury thing with him, I'd just like to see another 30 minutes, and then you go, okay, well, because let's face it, you know, you want to get him fit, but remember, he's probably only really got to get fit for 50 or 60 minutes. You nearly always bring in someone um, for, you know, in, in one of those, in, the, in in that hooker position for 20 minutes at least uh, over game. And I think that's probably generous. I think it's probably more like 30 minutes. So it's not a it's not a stretch for him to have to play another 20 minutes. So I think 30 minutes is good for him this weekend. I think it sets him up nicely to play the 50 minutes. And I think you do start him in the quarterfinal. I think the the, the form he's shown, I think... He's just a little bit more dynamic, I think, at this point than than Keller. I think Keller still seems to be recovering slightly from injuries, had an injury ravaged couple of years. Um, and Sheehan does deserve to get his place back. But I would just give him one more chance for, for all those reasons I mentioned. I completely understand the other point of view where you don't want to take a chance. And you did see what Keller brought in terms of the lineup when he came on. However, I think there was more to it than just the throwing. I think that the calling and the Ireland line-out and gen- generally kind of settled down a little bit. Um, you know, after that initial shock of first kind of six missed ones was, was very um, demoralizing. So um, that's that's an interesting one. Conan coming in. I mean, Baird was excellent. Uh, Baird was excellent. Like, I think the two obvious ones are, the, are that, are Conan onto the bench um, and Sheen into the team. Um, I don't know what you guys think. I feel like Conan is 100% going to come in. Why keep him this long? Because if, if he doesn't play this weekend, I feel like you've, you've carried him the entire tournament. But where do you, do you bring, it's onto the bench, obviously. Yeah, instead of Baird, yeah. yeah, I would say. Instead of Baird, yeah, you think, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, sorry, I completely, yeah. I'm not, I, ain't, I ain't going to fight you on it, yeah, but yeah. I just think Baird actually brought, um, he brought good, good energy. And he's a big athlete, you know. I just like having him there. I think he's, uh, um, you know, he's kind of a bit uh, kind of raw, isn't he, in terms of his talent? Um, but he's a physical specimen. I do like having him there. I think he's nice to have in that sixth slot too where you can just, um, you know, and he's nice to have the other option for for second row just in case there's kind of a weird scenario in there, Will. So I, I, I don't like seeing him leave, but I agree with you. I think that's probably what lots of people will be thinking is that why why bring Conan otherwise? Um, but, you know, Conan's the kind of guy that you could have a straight swap as well, you know, so you could have him outside your 23. If there's an injury to Doris, you say, okay, well, there's my ready-made replacement. So but two ways to look at that no one. rugby, though, you, you want to get minutes into it. Yeah, no, there is that side of things. But The um, August Bank Holiday game was when his last, he last played. Like, that's a long, you know, it's, that's, no, it is a long time. No, like, sorry, I, I completely get the, the, the logic on it. It's just whether you, you take someone out of a key game who actually has been playing well and been making an impact from yeah. the bench. Yeah. Jonathan, I want to throw a flyer at you. Like, so, you know, we were talking about South Africa calling up various positions regardless of who gets injured. If Ireland suffer an injury this weekend, no matter who it is, is there a case to be made for bringing Keane Healy over? He says he's fit, ready to go. You know, Dave Kilcoyne, you know, is a good player, but you saw Andrew Porter going 75 minutes against South Africa. Is there an argument for getting that experience, uh, you know, over into France? As we said, if it could be a long knockout campaign. So even though he hasn't played much rugby, he might end up featuring it if that, if that was the case. Would that be a worthwhile option, do you think? It depends on the injury, but absolutely, I think it would be worth thinking about because that's the way that, as we stand now, you would get your first choice match day 23 into what could be the bi- biggest series of games that there have ever been in Irish rugby. So I think it would definitely be worth exploring. But I think it's very, you know, you mentioned Conan and not having played. Like to me, it's more interesting that he hasn't played given that Farrell decided against bringing the extra backer. So he's brought Stuart McCluskey, he's not played him. But he's ostensibly brought Stuart McCluskey at the expense of 
Cain Prendergast, really that extra back rower. So he's gone through a month of this tournament with only four back rowers. So, you know, if you get an injury there, say, then you're very short. But if you were to get an injury in the midfield, maybe, you know, you could get away with bringing Kane Healy in then. And I do think there would be value in that because you're strengthening your match day 23, if that's the case. And that, I think, would be very hard to uh, to turn down if you had the opportunity to, to do that. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, look, I think Kane, all that experience, I think... Um, you know, you look at the Eddie Jones experience, I'm kind of going off on a bit of a tangent here, but he brought no experience over. You, you need guys who've done it. Like that kind of experience is absolutely invaluable. And I think uh, while Porter is a supreme athlete, asking him to kind of go, you know, between 70 and 80 minutes every week for four or five in a row, we all hope, um, you know, not not not, not feasible. Not, not, not feasible, I don't think. Sorry, four will be uh, max. But uh, yeah, it's... Um, if you get a chance to bring him over, they probably should do that. It is tricky to see. Like, I do think there's a little bit of risk around that back row situation. You know, yeah, it all and, depends on who would get injured. Exactly. And it's really difficult to, to anticipate, you know, ideally, sorry, ideally, but ideally it would be a straight swap. You know, yeah. like in a way you get someone... someone ideally. <laughs> I, I, sorry, I, I obviously did caveat. I've, you know, it's an awful way of saying it, but ideally you wouldn't be bringing him in for a kind of a different position. Yeah. You're kind of keeping the balance that the squad has already and it would be, you kind of keep the plan that you went over with in terms of who comes in where. Um, I do agree with Jonathan. There is like that that issue around the back row that we all kind of discussed, like, and it's such an attritional kind of area of the pitch. Um you know, that is somewhere where there's a little bit of concern, you know, that it might look a little bit light, but the other area of concern is definitely around that front row and, and how much, you know, pressure is on Porter to go ahead and finish every single game nearly, or definitely the key yeah. co- the key parts of every game. So, um, Keane looked great. I don't know if you saw the footage on his Instagram. Um, he was obviously putting that out for, for a good reason. Um, come and get me, please. He did say it to me, actually, because I said him obviously a text, saying, listen, hard luck or whatever. And he did say it to me, so I was like, don't count me out yet. I think I'm, I don't know if I said it to you or Rudds, I'm not sure, but I was going to say, and I was actually talking to him, he thinks he might get back. Um, which is, as I said to him, was like, you still have a bit of that Phoenix blood kind of uh, flowing around the body. So unbelievable recovery from him at his age and great to see him back. And it's a great option for Ireland should there be a You a never know, like the last World Cup, England ended up calling up a scrum half who, who came onto the bench for the World Cup final, Ben Spencer. Like, so, you know, at any stage of the tournament, no matter how, like if Ireland go all the way or, if, you know, you never know, like he could still be called upon even if it's only to sub in one match potentially. You, you never know how, how it could work out. Jonathan, you mentioned Stuart McCluskey there. You know, it's going to actually ask about him anyway. Like he's kind of one of the forgotten man I think himself and Jimmy O'Brien are the only two guys who haven't featured for a minute in this World Cup so far I think I'm right in saying that like how good well, it did as well, but Conan oh yeah sorry I yeah, sorry presuming Conan features this weekend yeah but like it's been a very disappointing tournament obviously another a child he welcomed in so it's been bittersweet from that point of view but from a rugby point of view for him not to get any minutes you know you probably would have expected him to play one of the first two matches but obviously the way Andy Farrell picked his team that didn't come to pass like how kind of Gooding will it be for for Stuart McCluskey not to have featured up to this point? I'd say it would be devastating. Like all these guys are going to come out with saying the right things and saying that they're contributing to the team during the week. And, you know, it's a 33-man effort, not a 23-man effort. But at the end of the day, as a rugby player going to a World Cup, you're there to play. And the fact of the matter is that in previous World Cups, everybody that's went has played. You know, you're going back, I think, to 2007, the last time Ireland brought somebody to a World Cup without using them. So... I think if you were picked in that squad, absolutely, you're expecting to play. But I think it speaks to Andy Farrell and what Andy Farrell has consistently said throughout his tenure here is that, you know, he's not giving away caps. He's not going to use somebody at a World Cup so that he can say that he used them. And I think that's part of what he's tried to instill in this team. That ethos is what he's tried to instill in this team. And maybe the writing was on the wall with that Romania game when he went so strong in the Romania game because I think a lot of people would have been looking at that one as the fixture to say as much as it was the first game and you want to lay down a marker and you want to uh, sort of state your intention in the opening weekend like that was the fixture that you would have expected to see the other sort of 10 players in the squad that aren't in the match day 23 that's when you would have expected to see those guys get their game and maybe it's just the way the fixtures fell without being first that that meant that that didn't happen but I mean absolutely if you're <laughs> once you're on that plane you think you're going to see the pitch so to not be is it's a big personal blow like obviously you know if Ireland go on and win the thing he gets a medal like I don't think uh, um, he would rather be at home not rather be at home playing for Ulster than 
in France not playing for Ireland, but it's a t- it's a tough thing to deal with. It's tough for him with the with the child at home. I think it'll make it kind of doubly tough for you not getting any, you know it's probably easier in your own mind if you say, well, look, I'm doing something special. But um, look, I think he's he's a kind of a good fella as well. Uh, she seems like a positive guy, very well liked. Uh, brilliant player been playing very well for a long time I think he's suffered because look there's obviously two brilliant players ahead of him he obviously is a specialist in that he pretty much purely plays 12 um, which is a challenge um, you know I think it's a massive vote of confidence in his ability that he's actually there though and I think if there is an injury you know you saw how he played against South Africa he, you know in a very tough match in November he actually was excellent in that game so um, look it's good that he's there I think it's a good vote of confidence in his ability and what he's done to this point he's probably suffered a bit because Ulster haven't played well either let's face it um, and, and Bundy has come into a really rich vein of form so um, I get John's point but he be he still has a I, he may might well have a big part to play in this tournament I think it's been this weekend especially like there's a, that's a real tough centre partnership that like probably probably Scotland's best part of their team I think is probably that centre partnership um, you know you could well see an injury or two in that area you know Gary's had a few injuries here and there as well um, so you know Robbie is pretty much the straight swap in there you know I think he is anyway. I mean, I know Jimmy did play there, but I think, you know, Henshaw goes in there and then all of a sudden you're right in the picture, aren't you? If you're Shoe McCluskey. So, um, you know, this thing is not out of reach yet. He has to stay, you know, focused, which I'm sure he will, train really well, prepare the team well, because if he prepares the team well, another match could be an injury and you're in the game. So I think, uh, I, I agree, it's tough, but... Got to keep focus now. And interesting, you know, Johnson's point about how Andy Farrell has used this World Cup the way he's used pretty much every international window he's gone, but it's almost his strongest team every week. Like, I haven't researched this because it's only come to my head now, but like Ireland must have used the fewest players almost of any team in the tournament. Just you think of little the team has actually changed across the, the three games. There's been little tweaks here and there, but they've basically gone with their strongest team. Far, you know, I know the first game you had uh, McCarthy and Keith Earls, but like it was basically as strong a team as he could pick for the first. It means the, he really wants yeah. you there. You know, if you've got if you've got picked in that thirty three, he thinks you're a good guy. He thinks you're someone he can rely on because he doesn't give away any matches. Like if you're playing Ireland, you know, within reason, some of the tier twos and threes, he might pick a you know fairly, you know, a, a different team. But generally speaking, he's picked you know even for the November internationals, he picked the strongest team you know every week, um, which I think is a big vote of confidence in anyone who's there, and they should take it as that. And I think he trusts them, um, and that's why they're there. So. Uh, yeah, uh, look, I I don't really see a problem with it. I kind of like that the team is kind of battle-hardened to a certain extent. I always have that concern with the with the Irish rugby model that, you know, coming to something like a World Cup where you're kind of rested nearly every three weeks in, in um, yeah, probably, pretty, you probably usually play about three games. And I know they have some very strong data around injuries to support pulling people out after three games. Apparently, the, the, the chances of getting injured in the fourth game spike massively. So that's why they do it. Um, but it does mean at a, at a tournament like this where it's kind of attritional and you're there for a long time, it means, you know, are you are you really used to that? Are you used to having that grueling schedule? Can you back it up for that amount of time without getting tired? Um, it's always a concern I have, which I think Andy Farrell probably, seems like he probably shares it, I think, somewhere somewhere in there he, mm. he shares that feeling. But Jonathan, is there a concern then? Obviously the injury profile has been so good so far that if there is an injury and Ireland do progress, that some of the guys coming in are a bit undercooked because he has gone with, you know, basically the same team every week. Obviously we don't know what team he's picking this weekend, but it appears that it's going to be along similar lines to South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's why I think that we're having this conversation around Shane and Conan. It's not so much do they need minutes against Scotland, it's do they need minutes before they get to the quarterfinal. And then, you know, there's guys that are in the same boat. Say, you know, say a, a back three player gets injured and then Jimmy O'Brien is asked to play a quarterfinal of the World Cup. It's the biggest game of his life, but he also hasn't played a game since August. You know, that's that's a big ask. And there is definitely a risk there, but obviously in Farrell's mind, the risk of that is smaller than the risk of not going at this World Cup full throttle and playing your playing your strongest team or close to your strongest team in every game. Because let's be honest, it hasn't been required. Yes, points difference may still come into it, but like they didn't need that strong a team to beat Romania or Tonga. Mm. Yeah, no, it's an interesting debate. And as we said, when he picks a team for Scotland on Thursday, we'll, we'll know a bit more about his intentions. But by all intents and purposes, it looks like he is going to go with as strong a team as he can. Let's move tack for for a little bit. New Zealand, are they back after that big win on Friday, Luke? You know, <laughs> I've met a t- you know, I was in a few WhatsApp groups, everyone like, you know, soiling themselves, I would fear, after seeing New Zealand run in all those points against Italy. Like, what, what are your thoughts? Like, did you look at that game and think, oh, they're, they're really humming? Or was it more how, like, poor Italy were and made them look a bit better? Option two, I thought Italy were atrocious. And um, having... 
having kind of felt like they'd made a little bit of progress under Crowley, I just feel like the defensive performance was just pathetic, actually, uh, at times. So, look, New Zealand can do that to you. Like, I, you know, I, I still... I just don't think this is a vintage New Zealand team. I just think... Um, you know, I was amazed at how bad the hand, the ball handling was. I was chatting to, I think it was my, my father actually, we were chatting about the, the France-New Zealand game. Um, we were just kind of sharing some thoughts and and he had kind of said it and I thought, you know what, you're 100% right. I remember seeing Bowden Barrett throw some real wobbly passes and people like not catching it, people getting the ball dragged out of their hands and tackles. I've just never seen New Zealand teams like that. I always think, yes, they generally have brilliant athletes, um, you know, great finishers. But what I always think about New Zealand is that... Um, you know, aside from retaining the ball brilliantly, they pass the ball outstandingly well, better than any team in the world. And I think that's where Ireland have actually overtaken them, um, is that 1-15 to 15 on the pitch, no matter who it is, can pass the ball. This New Zealand team don't look like they have that well. I think they look a little bit different. They look shaky. Uh, their, their technique, passing-wise, they're catching. Basic skills, not as good as they always are. You always saw New Zealand, their basic skills are better than any other team. Um and um, look, they probably they look great against Italy, but I thought they were made to look great. And I think against the big teams, um, I still think at this juncture that that team is probably behind South Africa, France and Ireland. I do think that. Um, and look, they still obviously will be a threat. And I'm always worried about a team that has Joe Schmidt in the back room. We talked about this all there. <laughs> Three weeks to prepare. I know you were talking about kind of his Ireland reign and that, but I still think he has he is a winner. Um, and everywhere he's gone, he's been pretty much a success. Bar at World Cups um, with Ireland, obviously. Is he got a World Cup now? I don't uh, <laughs> no, but I just think he's everywhere he's gone. He, he get, they get a chance to prepare really, really well for Ireland. New Zealand are generally at the forefront of rugby thinking. Haven't been maybe in the last year or two, but I, I can see them coming up with a really good game plan to, to play Ireland if it plays out as we expect and Ireland get the win and go through top of the group. Um, so I am concerned about them, but not because of the Italy performance. Yeah, because like in the last two years, going back to the autumn of 2021, like when the All Blacks have played like weaker teams, they've still been able to put them to the sword pretty comprehensively. Like they trounced Wales last autumn, you know, put like a load of points on Australia and Argentina and the rugby championship has gone, obviously the Italian performance. But since October 20 or November 2021, they've lost by double digits three times to Ireland, twice to France and twice to South Africa. So when they've made that step up... Uh, I think their front row is a problem for them, Will. they made that step up to the top three teams in the world, they've actually been a good bit off the level required. Like, that's seven double-digit defeats in two years. Like, that would be unthinkable. They wouldn't even suffer seven defeats in the previous 10, probably, but let alone double-digit defeats. Oh, I think if you think think about the the three teams that I mentioned there, um, that, you know, uh, you know, I think they're, that are quite a bit better. I think where they have real problems, you know, is in that front row. I can't see them competing with any any three of those teams. And I don't think, as good as Cody Taylor is, I think... He's anyone, not what he was in the he Lions tour, what he say, was. you know. completely agree with you. I, I, and I think he's just not as dynamic. Mm. You think about how dynamic all the other hookers are. Um, you know, obviously Mark's going home is probably a help, but I still think the props particularly, not vintage, you know, you think about the Franks brothers, you know, some brilliant players that... that that have played for New Zealand there over the years. Those guys are not like that. Poor hands. Um, not even great at, at scrum time, which I think New Zealand traditionally weren't, but have in the last 15 years been very, very good at scrum time. Still think their their back five is pretty good, but still back row is not not what it was either. And I think Ireland have you know a big advantage in those two areas against them, as I think South Africa and France do. And I think that's probably why it might be just a bridge too far for them to beat those teams. Even if they have a brilliant plan, I still think they won't be favourites. Um you never think you're going to say that about New Zealand, but that is, I think, a fact at this point. Um, and it's kind of a weird one because you think of how much quality they have. Um, they just don't seem to have developed or timed this run in brilliantly to the World Cup, I think, in terms of who's there. And I think they still have some issues around selecting that 10 slot, even though I think they have decided that it's Moonga. It's taken them quite a while to get there. And Barrett at 15, because he's such a great player and has all that experience, I know why he's there. It's important to have that at a World Cup. But is he their best 15? I don't know. And you kind of have to have him in your team. So um, they're in a tricky slot, New Zealand. I feel like there's been a lot of indecision about their their selections and about how they want to play. Um, and I, I think they're just not what they were. Um, they will come back quickly, I think, in the next World Cup cycle. But this one, I think, has come a little too soon for them. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, Jonathan, do you want to come in on New Zealand there? Especially, I suppose, in relation to last Friday night as well and whether it, I suppose, affects your confidence level ahead of any potential quarterfinal meeting? Yeah, look, we've sort of had this for about, um, well, probably about a year and a half since that Ireland series. It's, it feels like every game that New Zealand play is like an 80-minute referendum on whether they're any good or not. And it's like, you know, are they the team that, 
stuck 97 on Italy or are they the team that got beat by France? Are they the team that got thumped by the Springboks? Are they the team that won the rugby championship? And the obvious answer is that they're all of these teams because it's exactly what uh, you said there. They've always been capable of putting this amount of points on a bad team that doesn't want to defend. The thing that they lack now is they don't have the consistency. This isn't the team that was able to reel off 18 wins in a row not, not that long ago because they have bad performances in them and they have days where, you know, we've seen them against Ireland, we've seen them against South Africa. Going back to last autumn, we've seen them against France and they just don't look like they have the horses up front to match those sides. Like, to me, that game is more about Italy. Like, the curious part of Friday night was how bad Italy were, how it looked essentially like Obviously, we know Kieran Corrales leaving at the end of this tournament. We know that look, they still have a chance of the quarterfinals if they be, if they beat France, but they've got a particularly tough draw, and they didn't really look particularly uh, committed to defending anyway. For once, that game on Friday, not even once it got away from them. Once they gave up two scores, that looked like it was it for them. Like I think it said a lot more about Italy and where Italy are with a coach that's leaving at the end of the campaign, and by all accounts. Maybe a few players wanted them to stay on. And I just don't think it says an awful lot about New Zealand, or I suppose more accurately, it doesn't say an awful lot about New Zealand's ability to beat one of the other top four sides in the world. What does it say about the tournament generally? Like, there's been 32 pool matches. Only six of the 32 matches have been decided by seven points or less. And only eight of them, so only a quarter, have been decided by 14 points or less. So within two two scores. Like... Last weekend in particular was like a dire fixture list. Like New Zealand, Italy was the marquee game of the weekend, really. Like in terms of just the biggest one, and like that was an outrageous turkey shoot. Like, and now there's talk about expanding the tournament to 24 teams for the next edition. Like the next four teams in the world ranking would be USA, Spain, Canada, and Hong Kong, China coming to the party. Like, like what? Like, is there merit in that? Like, there's been so many outrageously one-sided games in this tournament. Well, I think you've got to give the tier two nations more games in between against better opposition. That's the that's a huge challenge for them. You know, you think about particularly I think some of the the the, the Pacific Island nations have had so few games. Like it looks like Tonga are now only coming up to speed at this stage of, of the competition. You know, they've 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 barely had any matches. I, I think did I read a stat was it something like 50, was it 15 games or something between that now and the last World Cup together or something like that? I I, I could be wrong on that, but I'm I'm pretty yeah. sure well, it's not too many more. As well, like, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, of course, and they were they were disproportionate. Yes. They were kind of impacted by that. Two years with COVID. Yeah, obviously. yeah, yeah. So look, no, there is a bit of that going on, but still, 20 matches is probably not enough or whatever it was uh, for you to really get a sense of. Of, of what direction the team is pulling and, um, you know, to, to kind of, you know, get combinations together, things like that. So, uh, look, they're just one example. But I do think if you are going to do it, you have to give them more opportunities to play against the best teams. There will be a few turkey shoots. But, like, at some point, we've got to try and make this uh, expand our game, I think. And I think it's a good thing to have them. The extra teams. I do. I, look, I think Portugal have, have been very good, you know, in, in the competition. I think Fiji, traditionally, look, they are a traditional rugby nation, uh, but they still have a very small pool to pick from. Some brilliant athletes, we obviously know, but they've been brilliant in the World Cup. Obviously disappointing, um, you know, that they're kind of, uh, you know, it's all up in the air a little bit now. And, the, and you know, when they should have been kind of home and hose, really... Um, you know, in, in, in their group, haven't had, you know, such a, a, you know, been so close against Wales. Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, you, you still have to try and give these teams an opportunity, but you just have to do it a bit more fairly as well. I think they've done that with the fixture list. I think in the last World Cup and the previous World Cup, some of the fixture lists were awful for some of the tier two nations, you know, with less less guys to pick from, less time to prepare. They had, you know, less recovery time even between the games. So they've kind of, that's improved a little bit as well, which I think is a good thing. Uh, you never like seeing massive scorelines, but I think you're just going to have to accept that here and there. You know, it's not a worldwide game like like football is. Um, then why, why is it being expanded? I feel like it would well, make... It should, I think well, you've got to try and make it a world. A world I, I think you've got to try and do that. I think you, you, the endeavour is right. Whether or not we get some ugly results, I think is, you know, that is something that we're probably just going to have to live with for a little while, I think. But you never grow the game unless it's on a world stage, but you know? Jonathan, is it like putting the cap before the horse? Should it not be like the, the kind of a prerequisite to get teams up to the standard required to be at a World Cup before we start adding four more teams? Like 24 teams in a game that's only probably played to a good standard by eight. It seems kind of like for your worldwide product, your global showpiece. I just, I just, even though the structure would be six pools of four teams on the last 16, which would make more knockout rugby, which it would be the same at the games as this World Cup is with an extra knockout game, which could be exciting. But in terms of the expansion, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not against expansion, but there's no point in doing it unless you work 
between the cycles. It's exactly what Luke's saying because we have this debate every four years and it's not like are the teams that are going to be the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th teams good enough for the World Cup? Like the debate is really are the teams that are 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th and 20th good enough for the World Cup now? And the answer to that is no because there's a reason that you have a 33-point on average winning margin in these games. Like that's not going to sell your product. So we talk about growing the game you can't go the game if the games themselves are substandard. And nobody who's a neutral, and even people who are invested in the game, want to watch games like that. So the issue is that we can't just have this conversation every 4th October, whenever we're slogging through the pool stages and we've all got to the point where we don't want to see any more of these games that are settled by 50 points. Like You need to put in the work in the interim in the cycle like we can't have the debate now and then forget about it it's and, like, and I do think John I don't know what you think about this but the, the 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 Georgia example to me is perfect at this World Cup where they've been really kind of they've kind of been a bit disappointing I think I and mean, we were all expecting you know they had a few really good results here and there and we're kind of saying like you know that's brilliant like let's let's see how they're going they could be a potential banana skin at this World Cup particularly in that group um, like the 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 stuff between the cycles for them like I like how have they not been included in kind of a six nations or an expanded obviously it'd be a seven nations but how have they not been included in something like that um you know or a club team from there been set up that is is kind of in the um URC. or yeah exactly the URC you know uh, things like that are what you have to do to bring these these places along um you know uh, the problem for them I think is probably rugby's been under massive pressure since covid financially it's never really recovered we're seeing the obviously what's going on in, in in the UK at the moment over there um so it is hard to go ahead and do that hopefully things settle down uh, over over this world cup cycle and we can try and integrate these teams a little bit better but there's literally I don't think there's any point in adding them if you're not going to make the effort through the cycle. That's that's absolutely key. You've got to try and find them fixtures. You've got to try and find club games for them whereby they have an opportunity, like a, a Georgian team in the European Cup or the Challenge Cup or something as well. You, you need to find routes for these pe- these players to play against better players. They will never improve otherwise. Yeah, I, like I don't work for a rugby, so it's not my job to grow the game. Like I, I would rather see a good World Cup with less turkey shoots. 16 teams would be preferable for me to 24 in some ways, like, you know, because... I yeah, like a good World Cup does grow the game. That's the thing that gets lost in all of this. Like a good World Cup is imperative to grow in the game because this is the biggest seller of the game. Like rugby is fortunate in the sense that like the Six Nations remains on terrestrial TV and that's protected. But like this is a huge shop window, essentially, for World Rugby to attract new fans. And if you were watching a lot of those games over the weekend like are you going to watch them or are you going to switch over and watch the Ryder Cup are you going to watch them are you going to switch over and watch Spurs against Liverpool like those types of games are not growing the game so it's balancing but even, even if you think about the Football World Cup though like it's last 16 is where you really start tuning in no? Disagree completely the group stages of the Football World Cup are like because obviously in soccer like a, a weak team can score a goal and get a, a result against the head. Like Namibia can never beat New Zealand no matter what happens. I know Japan once beat South Africa, but World Cup shocks happen all the time in the Football World Cup. Like you see Germany getting turfed out, the loss to Japan. Like, you know, you, there's, there's World Cup shocks galore every Football World Cup. It's not comparable, I don't think. No, but you're still going to be glued to, there's two groups where you're glued to the last fixture of, of this World Cup. You know what I mean? Uh, to see what what happens, you know what I mean. So I, I think there's there's plenty of fixtures, and then you're gonna, like every quarterfinal, you're going to be you know there, there's going to be every eyeball that has any kind of interest in rugby is going to be watching the quarterfinals. I think, and True. I think but it's, it's a five week pool stage to get to that stage. You think and it should be quicker with less well, recovery you, as time? I said six games out of thirty two have been decided by one score. Like, that's that's mad. No, no, it's not you enough. Know, I, that's, I, that's I do like agree. What, 20%? We've, we've also had a few disappointing ones from teams that should have come on a little bit better, I think, Will. That's so, true. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I think there's been a few disappointing ones in that sense. But I still think there's going to be enough interest that there's going to be some great fixtures. Like, the Scotland Ireland game is going to be an absolute belter of a game. Like, it is going to be, you know, two sides hoeing into each other, I think. And, and it's going to be really tense. Um, you know, and I think if you look at all those quarterfinal fixtures, like, once you get the knockout rugby, there's going to be... The business end will be unbelievable. It'll be brilliant, But, yeah. like, it's not just, like, adding another four team, like, as in, you know... Well, I suppose the real question about it, Will, is, is, is why you need the bye week. In, in that you know could you do it all in four weeks you know you probably should be able to do it well with weeks. this new schedule that's what they're saying to have six pools of four instead of you know 
four pools of five, you can actually do it. So every team is playing every weekend. Yeah. So that it'll actually shorten the tournament, ironically, by adding more teams. It'll actually shorten the tournament by a week because they won't need the bye week because there'll be even number of teams in every pool. So it does actually, feel like a long time to get to the quarters for what it is. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that's the real problem. So it's not about whether we have another four good team or four teams that are good enough to be at this tournament. Like the bigger problem is exactly what we're talking about. If oh, it'll be everyone will be into it once we get to the quarterfinals. Like it's too long to get to the quarterfinals. So as big a problem about getting another four teams in the into the tournament is really creating another four teams that could make the quarterfinals. Like what Will says to start this conversation is bang on. Like we're a month into this tournament and what was it to really achieve? It wasn't to turn 20 teams into eight. It was really to turn nine or 10 teams into eight. Like that's the issue. You need all of the teams beyond the very, very top tier to get better. Not 21 to 24. You need like 10 to 24 to be better to improve the quality of the World Cup. And I think it's a pipe dream for that, really. Like, World Rugby can say it as much as they want, but, like, I can't foresee there ever being a time where, like, the majority of these teams are even remotely competitive at a World Cup. Like, and it sounds really, like, kind of snobby, like, pulling up the, you know, the ladder and closing the trap door behind them. But, like, I, you know, as I said, it's not my job to grow the game. I'm just talking about it as a, as a consumer. Someone who's, like, like, watches rugby. Like, I just feel like they're chasing pipe dreams. Like, right, like as you said, the, but the, the issue finances is are fairly robust enough to support the, the country's rugby is going well in, let alone, you know, trying to spread it out and make it massive in America and make it massive in other countries. Like, like <laughs> sometimes I'm like, should they, would they be better off consolidating the, where well, it's actually have. popular? Yeah, no, no, but like, you know? I think if you're doing that, right, so to my mind, if you're doing that, you're not, it shouldn't really be a World Cup. It should just be like a competition every two years. You know, the like, Super Bowl, they're world champions. No, sorry, but I think it should be it should be like a Ryder Cup style. We just talked about Ryder Cup style. It should probably be something like that, where it's every two years. Uh, would be kind of how I would do it, uh, if you ask me honestly, because I kind of agree with you, but I also think it, you know the 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 endeavor is good to try and grow it. The issue for me is that is not actually organizing to have more teams at the World Cup. The issue for me is what happens between them. That is the big issue in the game is that you haven't given these people an actual opportunity to grow their game and to be exposed to better players, better coaching. Uh, it's it's as simple as that. So it's good that they're trying to do it. But if you don't give them the opportunities in between that, you should change it from being a World Cup, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't agree, disagree because the people have said like, you know, Portugal have been the real joy, probably success story of like the kind of the minnows, if you want to call them that. You know, they threw with Georgia. They you know, threw the ball around really well against Australia. But like, what happens to those players? Some of those guys look like, I was I was joking with people, oh, surely like a lot of French clubs will be on the phone to their agents because they look like they can play even in the Pro D2. But like, what happens to these guys? Some of them have been like really lighting up the tournament with some, you know, great footwork, some lovely tries. It's kind of like a mystery now, like who these players are, what, where they'll go, or what, what'll happen to them. So, yeah, as you say, it's about that infrastructure. And Jonathan, you made a, you know the good point about it being the shop window because Ian Foster made a comment about comparing Ireland, South Africa to New Zealand, Italy, and saying the ball and play time was you know really low in Ireland, South Africa. Like, do people really want to watch that versus our game against Italy? And I was just like, you're clearly one of the game's great thinkers, Ian, if that's what you're putting forward as a hypothesis. But um. It, it was an interesting debate. Like, you know, for, I think everyone agrees that this Ireland South Africa game was a much superior match. And I don't think anyone who watched it came away not enjoying it. But what did you make of his comments and that kind of debate? I thought it was ludicrous, like, to be honest, because the ball and play time was only two minutes higher for Italy against New Zealand. It, it struck me as, like, basically the equivalent of me deciding what I'm going to write a column on on Saturday. And then the game doesn't support the hypothesis, but I still write the column anyway. It's like, it seemed to me that that was premeditated. He had decided that this was what he was going to come out and say. And then even though the fact that there was only two more minutes like in that game of ball and play time, like the ball and play time stat was just completely off the wall for the point that he was trying to make. But like, let's be honest, like nobody, nobody wants to watch a game like New Zealand, Italy at all. But I think to give Foster the benefit of the doubt. And I seem to be giving a lot of people the benefit of the doubt when it comes to their press conferences. But like, <laughs> there has to have been some sort of reason for that. And if I had to take a guess of what it was, I would think he's looking ahead to a quarterfinal with Ireland and is trying to sow the seeds in the officiating team's mind that Ireland are a team that likes to slow the ball down or likes to slow the game down. And he doesn't want that against New Zealand. So I think... God, I think the complete opposite. 
Well, it's funny that Jonathan makes that point because I remember the, that 2021 match in the Aviva Stadium. After the game, he was really like pointed in his press conference being like, Ireland, we're slowing it down. Like, you know, they were really like taking their time. Jeez, I, 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 sorry, that's it. It's so we interesting. We would never do that. No, not no. Because hmm. I, I actually think the reason I prefer to play New Zealand than France is because I think New Zealand can only play that way. And I think that's when Ireland play their best rugby is when it's a fast game. Like you saw what happened against France in, in the Viva this year. They couldn't live with the ball and play time against us. They just couldn't. We were, we, it's the only time I've ever seen, well, not the only time, but it's, it's the first time I really saw Ireland totally look like they were in control of that game against France. And it was because it was too quick for France. Um, um, that's amazing. And I thought they actually played, like I thought Ireland completely outplayed New Zealand at pace down, down there. Now, I think they do want to control parts of the game. You don't want to have too much unstructured against New Zealand. They have some fantastic athletes in, in broken field. But fast game suits Ireland. Like, I don't know what, what Irish team he's watching. Like, you think about Doris, you think about Van der Fleer, Ryan, you know, or for, like Sheehan. You think about all these guys who are unbelievable on the ball. Ty Furlong. They don't have those kind of players. Like, I, I think Ar- he meant like that Ireland might play at a fast tempo when the ball's in play, but that they are like, we're, I don't know, fe- not feigning injury or taking time over injuries when the game was in the melting pot. I, I, but that was his point that on that day anyway. I, oh, was it? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think if, you, if the ball, play, if it's a fast game, like Ireland are fit. Ireland want to play at top of the game. Top, like for me, Ireland's concern is playing against France and South Africa, playing against the weight, going from set piece to set piece against a team like that. I think they can do that against New Zealand if they want, but I think they can also shred New Zealand up like they did uh, in on the, on the New Zealand tour if they want, if it's a fast game too. I didn't think New Zealand's defence was any great shakes and they did not deal with Ireland, well with Ireland's passing ability and Ireland's decision-making in, in, the, um, in the loose. Like Ireland shredded them, you know. Um, so I'm surprised to hear him, him looking for that with Ireland, but I get Jonathan's that, point. That, yeah. That's I guess, like, you know, the, of what he's been doing. But I think that, you know, if you're looking at South Africa against Ireland, like, yes, Ireland can play both styles of game, but if you're looking at a South Africa against Ireland type of game, can New Zealand win that type of game? So, like, New Zealand could beat Ireland if the game is fast-paced. I agree with you that I think Ireland, at the minute, as currently constituted, are better at that type of game than New Zealand are, but I don't think there's any chance that New Zealand win a South Africa-Ireland type game against Ireland. And, like, a large part of that's going to come down to the fact that their players don't really have the experience of these games anymore because, you know, they're not playing the South Africans in Super Rugby. They're playing Australian teams that play in the same way. Argentinian teams don't even really play in a traditional style anymore. If you look at the Pacific Islanders teams that they're playing, you know, all of these teams are playing at a high tempo, attacking the kind of game that could finish 40 to 25. And that's New Zealand's blueprint to win. Like, I don't think New Zealand are going to win, you know, any 18-13 game. Yeah, that's fair. It's funny you say 40 to 25. I'm pretty sure that's the exact score France beat them by in Paris in November 2021. So this shows, as I said earlier, like they've had a lot of double-digit defeats against the big three at this World Cup over the last two years or so. So yeah, be interesting comments. The mind games have really ratcheted up this week between Razi Erasmus, Ian Foster. You know, I don't know if Gregor Townsend's playing mind games or if he's just doing his usual uh, t- talking up. But yeah, certainly as we said, we've spent a lot of time talking about press conference. Might wrap up just with predictions then for the weekend. Ireland, Scotland, Luke, I'll go to you first. Well, sorry, I'll go to myself first. I'm, I'm expecting double-digit Ireland win. I think Ireland, as you said, are a better team. I think they're prepared well. They have good guys coming back in. Jack Cohn and Don Sheen look like he might get a start. I think those Scotland comments will focus their minds if there was any complacency. So, yeah, I'm expecting a 10-point you know, win and a march on to the quarterfinals. Um, yeah, I'd go with something similar, yeah. I think um, I think Ireland will, will perform. I think the week off is perfect timing for them to refocus and get over the, the kind of climactic uh, match against uh, South Africa. Um, I think it was a good time for them to refocus and uh, I think they'll just completely ignore all the, all the Scotland chat and focus on themselves. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, that's what's probably calming me down a bit is I just have belief in, in the Irish team and where they're, meant, they're at mentally and where they're at with their game. I think they get their line out right with a little bit of a break and, uh, you know, calm heads. Um, and look, I think they've got better players. Like I think the Finn Russell thing, that's always worked and I just think people who think he's better than Johnny Sexton just don't know rugby personally um, I think the Irish pack is better we'll have too much for them and I think it's a tight enough battle out wide they've got some threats but I think Ireland have enough out there to to, to beat them uh, combined with a big kicking game I think Van der Merwe is a different player when he's under pressure with the kicks um, and Darcy Graham too so I'd be attacking those two areas and uh, I expect Ireland to come out yeah maybe even more I think maybe it's unusual I go for more points than you will but I think maybe uh, I think Ireland by uh, 15. Big win. Jonathan, you have the last word. Will it be a clean sweep? 
Yeah, I was gonna. I was actually gonna say Ireland by fifteen as well. Um, I just think Ireland's defense is so underrated. I think it's obviously because of the way that they attack. We don't really talk about the defense as much, but I think their defense is really well suited to playing Scotland. I think Ireland just have better players across the board, and I think really this tournament has reinforced the idea that the top four teams in it are a good bit better than even the fifth the fifth best team in it. And I see a sort of similar margin between Ireland and Scotland than that we had Scotland, South Africa. So yeah, 15, I think. Well, it's set up to be a very exciting weekend as Ireland take on Scotland and Stade de France. I'd like to thank Luke and Jonathan for joining me on tonight's episode of The Left Wing. Sinead, Rudd and Keane will be back later in the week with plenty more podcasts from France. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Listen and follow The Left Wing wherever you get your podcasts.